Good morning. Uh, when I got here uh, first thing this morning before first service, uh, somebody saw me walking in. They said, oh, you must have an important announcement to make, Greg, because you're wearing a suit jacket. Yep. And then in between first and second, somebody said to me, what would it take for you to wear a tie? <laughs> I said, probably a funeral. Probably a funeral. Um, Erica, Annika, Britta, Pippa, would you guys come up here? We'll deal with you later. <laughs> okay, Rusty, you can come up too. You guys nervous? I am. Who here, show of hands, who here knows what a sabbatical is? Well, that's I think better than the first service. Not that everything's a competition, but I think you guys win. There's a few hands that didn't go up, so for those of you who don't know, uh, a sabbatical is basically kind of like a longer vacation, a period of time where we, uh, 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 we ask, no, we don't ask. We encourage the pastor to step away for a period of time, rejuvenate, because uh, what pastors do is hard work, hard work. And so Rusty has come to a point now in your seventh year. Wow, seven years. So he's at the point where we are encouraging him to take a sabbatical. And I think he's bolting on a couple of weeks of vacation. So I think you guys will be more or less invisible for about three months. More or less. Can't miss them if they don't go away. So we want to do a few things today. Um, uh, wanted to explain what a sabbatical was. Uh, wanted to kind of talk about uh, how much we appreciate uh, Erica and the girls looking after your dad, looking after Rusty for the next three months, right? We can't do it now, right? You guys got to do it. You guys do that for us? Yeah? Thanks. We appreciate that. And we know he's a handful, right? So we know we're not just asking lightly, right? This is a, this is a meaningful ask. So the CMT, uh, the board of the church, uh, we actually, just a coincidence of timing, we had a couple of days of a, of a retreat it is not a retreat. Don't think of a happy word, retreat. We get to go someplace fun. Uh, it's two days of you know, difficult meetings, talking about important things. But one of the things we talked about was, um, you, know, you know, Rusty is about to step away from this body for a, for a period of time. And we didn't want to let him go uh, without saying that we unanimous, unanimously support him as our lead pastor. You guys agree? <clears throat> now, before we get verklempt, it's not that he doesn't have issues. We're not saying that. But overall, uh, we are delighted. So, so we're happy to see him go. But more importantly, we, we really want to see him come back. Right? Amen. Right? We really want to see him come back. So... That's, that's, yeah, maybe the most important part, I think. Now, while the cat's away, the mice will play. So the staff have an opportunity, I think an awesome opportunity, especially Daniel. We have been scheming at the CMT the kinds of problems we're going to throw at Daniel while Rusty is away because it's a fantastic learning opportunity for Daniel and the rest of the team. So uh, we also want to support and encourage the staff that is left behind uh, while Rusty is away. So, uh, I'd like to pray for them. Would you guys stand up and join me? Uh, dear God, thank you for Rusty. Thank you for the Hildebrandt family. Uh, thank you for the work that, uh, that they have all done in this church. Thank you for the energy and the passion uh, that Rusty has exhibited to us and the love. Uh, please be with them as they take a time away. Uh, give them rest and rejuvenation uh, so they can come back and uh, rejoin the life of the church uh, with all the passion that we need him to have to do the job he needs to do. Uh, keep them safe. Let them have a lot of fun. All these things I pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Do I need to keep this on for any rebuttals or anything? Or? Please go. 
Thank you, brother. I sensed almost a bit of a, like a quiver in your voice and a watery eye. Was that true? Or... These are important people. I put on a jacket. I get nervous when I talk about talk in front of important people. So it was nerves. It wasn't, it wasn't the emotion. It wasn't love. It wasn't the excitement of you going away for three months. Yeah. That, that does actually bring a bit of a tear in my eye. No. Well, yeah, yeah I was going to say, like, I hope the Lord's okay with what this, eh? What's happening here this morning? Just. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's good. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're good. Yeah. I think it's, we, try, we try really hard to follow a biblical approach to things, right? Yeah. And, you know, works hard for six years and take a bit of a rest yeah. in the seventh year. I think it's not a full year of rest, but, you know, I think, what, 10 weeks is what we, yeah. is what we provide? So, anyone have 10 weeks of vacation in their jobs? Hmm. Sorry, guys. I mean, well, no, no. you gave it to me. No, no. Oh, you, well, we want you to have it. I know. You deserve I know it. you do. Should I'm we keep going you. or should I leave now? No, you could probably go. Okay. Well, again, thanks to everyone for your support of Rusty and his family. Love you guys very much. Yep. Thanks. And uh, let me tell you that um, that love is mutual. Maybe I don't say it as often as, uh, as I could or should, but uh, I really love you. I love this church. I'm just so thrilled that God has brought and kept me here and my family here. And, and yeah, I'm looking forward to a break. Um, am I going to miss the preaching? I don't think a lot. Um, other responsibilities, not so much, I don't think. I'm going to miss you. Yeah. I'm just going to miss the hugs and the handshakes and the conversations and the encouragement. All that happens like when the service is over, all that interaction and the other stuff. I'm, I think I'm going to miss... Uh, I'm gonna miss um, all those relationships and interactions more than anything. So uh, I love you. You're a good church. Um, and uh, I so appreciate the care that you have for me and the rest of the team here to be able to provide this opportunity. I was in another great church before I came here. Great people. I was there for nine years, and um, it was not uh, an opportunity for me to do something like this there. And uh, so it's I don't, not something I take for granted. So thank you for caring for me, not just me, but my family in this way because they carry heavy burdens too and um, carry it with grace, I think. And I want to commend my wife because um, I think sometimes it's harder to be a pastor's wife than it is to be a pastor. And um, uh, I've never really been into that whole like stereotype of a pastor's wife, you know, playing the piano and being the Sunday school superintendent. That's not biblical, right, that idea. Um, and what I love about my wife is uh, she, she lifts me up. I would not be here if it wasn't for her. I could not do this if it, if it wasn't for her. The, the sort of, all the stuff that happens behind the scene when I go home and um, the way that she encourages me and fills my sails again. Um, so thank you, hun. And now I get the opportunity to repay her by doing all the things on the to-do list <laughs> over the next three months, and it is a long list, let me tell you. Um, and some of you, you got the email I sent out a couple weeks ago just sharing a little bit more about what this means, what I'm doing, but uh, it'll be three months we're, we're away, and uh, we'll be in town most of the time. But uh, a week from now, we're going to be on a Jamaican beach. And uh, with a virgin margarita in hand. <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Trying to follow the Jets game from Jamaica. And then uh, I'll be back for a bit and maybe get to go see Annika's uh, Badminton Provincials and be there all day. I'd have to worry about getting home to write the sermon. Could just be there. Looking forward to that. And then uh, a week after we come back from there, uh, Jamaica, I'm flying out to Alberta to spend a week with my parents. And 
Uh, I mean, some of you know that my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had a surgery, uterine cancer, and had all those parts taken out, and uh, she just started chemo this last week. It's been really hard, like, for her. Um, physically and emotionally, a huge struggle as she begins walking this journey. And um, so I get, I'm just going to fly to Calgary, and I'm just going to... I just uh, get to sit with my mom for a week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, then I'm going to a Jays game. End of May, taking Annika, we're going on a road trip. We're going to Minneapolis, we're going to catch a couple Jays games. All that to say, um, we're going to have a good time, so thank you for this gift. And in there, I'm going to have lots of time to read and reflect, and you're probably going to see me walking all, all the time, because I'm going to do a lot of walking and hiking. And if you see me walking, and you see my mouth moving, and I'm not with another person, don't be alarmed. I talk with myself all the time. But probably I'm not talking with myself, I'm probably talking with God uh, then, because... I seem to do that best when I'm walking. So I'm looking forward to just spending time, uh, slower time with God, hearing, and hopefully coming back just like renewed and ready to lead this church forward in the great future that God has for us, and I believe it's great. So I do have a bit of a sermon here I need to preach. I'm going to try to keep it short. Who was that? <laughs> uh, so I knew, I've known for a long time this was going to be my last Sunday before sabbatical. The previous sermon series, Easter series, ended last Sunday. I've been wondering, what am I going to preach this last Sunday before I go? I've been thinking about that for a while. And, and the story that God has keep bringing to my mind is a story we find in Luke chapter 10. So if you do have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10. You're going to see the words on the screen in a moment. But uh, I have a mentor by the name of Lauren Meisner. Some of you know Lauren, and uh, for a couple of years he's been my mentor. We meet on a monthly basis, talk about life and ministry. And I, I share with him the struggles of like, you know, when, when you're a pastor and you do ministry as a profession, um, sometimes God and the Bible just feels like a tool to serve. And, and sometimes I find it difficult in the midst of all of that output to to feel like I, I'm really watering my own soul and fostering my own relationship with God for its own sake. And that's a bite battle that I fight. Um, and so we talk about this, and uh, he asked me to just, Rusty, give me a picture. What do you think that would look like? What do you think that would look like? What do you want for yourself? And I thought about that, and, and I gave him the picture of the story that we're going to look at now. And so it is something that's been on my mind for a while, and I want to share it with you. So I'm kind of preaching to myself here, too, just as much as I'm preaching to you. It's a little story. It's only five verses about two women named Mary and Martha in Jesus. Found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Let me read it. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So this is the picture that I have for me and that I think God has for you. It's a picture of a woman named Mary. Uh, we can kind of understand this sort of scenario. I don't know if you've ever had guests just arrive unannounced. How do you feel when that happens? What do you do? You normally try to be a good host, right? Make sure all the throw 
pillows are where they need to be and you clean up stuff and you try to find something in the fridge to whip together and do what's maybe expected of you or what you expect of yourself. How, now, take that and times that by 100 back in this day and age, this culture. I mean, hospitality was at like highest cultural value back in first century Judea. And, and we're not just talking about two or three friends showing up. I mean, this is a crowd of people, right? Jesus had 12 disciples, but more than 12. So who, maybe 100 guests, but they just pile into this home unannounced, and she goes into serve mode, work mode. Uh, she wants to be a good host, to be hospitable. And, and this whole kind of value of hospitality was something we, we maybe don't see to the same degree in our culture, but on other parts of the world, I remember in the mid-90s, I was 15 years old, took a trip to Mongolia and uh, was on a bus with a bunch of Mongolians who didn't speak English. It was interesting. I was this 15-year-old kid out of my element, driving through middle-of-nowhere Mongolia. There's only one other country in the world that's more sparsely populated than Canada. It's Mongolia. It's empty. Mostly nomadic. Families living in these little felt, they call them gares, yurts. So we're in the middle of nowhere. It's dusk. The bus breaks down. It's an old Soviet bus. And they're trying to fix this thing, but it's taking a long time. And so in the meantime, everyone that's in the bus, we see a little yurt in the distance, nomadic family. And so we just walk over to this tent and walk in. It's just one room, right? And, and it was amazing to see the woman of that home go into hospitality mode. In fact, they always have stuff ready just in case someone comes. And so she got a big pot of fermented mare's milk, horse milk, going. It's an acquired taste, trust me. And I didn't acquire it. <laughs> Floaties. Um, but the food and the drink that was prepared as this whole tent just full, packed with the I think I was the first white person they ever saw. Um, and just how incredibly hospitable they were. And that to me, that was a bit of a taste of what it would have been like for... Martha, she didn't want to dishonor her guests, right? She didn't want to fall short of any expectations that her culture or those in her house or the, or the expectations she had on herself. She didn't want to fall short of that. She was going to do what needed to be done. So she got busy. And we can all relate to that. And you know, everybody in that story would have commended Martha for what she was doing. Everybody except for one person. Because there was a special guest in her house. His name was Jesus. And everybody would have commended Martha except Jesus. Now, at times, Jesus did commend diligent servants. In fact, this is what he says in Matthew 24, uh, verses 45, 46. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Jesus commends good, diligent servants doing their work. But here, Jesus does not commend Martha. When Martha asks Jesus for help to send Mary in to join her in the work, Jesus discerns that it's not Mary who is distracted. It's Martha who's distracted. It's Martha whose attention is not where it should be in this moment. He says to her, Martha, Martha. You just hear in there like, these are words of love, right? Like Jesus loves this woman. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. He sees her heart and sees how all of this activity comes from an anxious place and what is that? What is that anxiety? What is that trouble? We don't really know what's all going on in her heart, but, but certainly at least part of that was just carrying the weight of this expectation others had or she had on herself and being a good host, not wanting to fall short of that, kind of wanting to earn the approval of the praise of those around her. And so she got busy. She got really busy doing everything that she felt she needed to do. But there was something more important she needed to do that she was missing, according to Jesus. He says, you're anxious about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Only one. 
Do you find yourself busy in life? You know what depresses me? I hear retired people talk about how busy they are. What that, t- what that tells me is life is always busy. There's always expectations and obligations. There's always a push and a pull. And if you're waiting for a time in your life where it all just works out and God allows you just to do what he says you need to do, then you're going to wait forever. You've got to make a choice. And he says, Mary has chosen what is better. There's only one thing that's needed. Uh, so, yeah, we all have all sorts of different tasks and responsibilities, and we all kind of have to rate them. You know, we have a hierarchy of responsibilities, of priorities. What's more important than something else? And so, for me, the way I kind of put it in a grid is there, there's three levels of priority. The top is the things I must do. The second is the things I should do. And, and the third is the things I want to do. Now, Erica's never heard me say this. Uh, but, but it's in here. And just because there are things you know you must do doesn't mean you do them. I've learned that. Sometimes you keep yourself busy doing the things you should do or want to do to avoid doing the thing that you must do. What is something that's a must? Well, in my mind, as I think just about tasks, whether it's in ministry or whether it's, you know, the to-do list at home, Uh, A must is is something that if you don't attend to it, the situation gets worse. Like, it becomes a bigger problem or another problem. If there's a drip underneath the sink and you don't fix the drip underneath the sink, now you have other problems over time, don't you? You've got a soft spot in the drywall in your basement. You've got bigger problems. That that would be a must. If you don't do it, you've got bigger problems. And then there's the things that you should do, right? Things that uh, aren't what they need to be, but... If you don't do them, it doesn't make any problem worse, right? The light bulb that's burnt out in that room, eventually you've got to change the thing, but, you know, if you don't, it's just a, a burnt out light bulb. It doesn't create bigger problems if you don't, or, you know, that hole in the drywall. Those are things you should do, but maybe not must do. And then there's that last level, the things that you want to do. You look at, you man, this, the color in this room is kind of outdated. I don't really like it. I want to paint this a color that I enjoy more. That would be a want to do. Must do should do, want to do. What Jesus says here is at that top level, there's really just one thing that rises above everything else. There's one must. And it's what Mary has chosen. Mary has chosen what is better. And what is the thing that she has chosen? Well, it says verse 39. Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. What has Mary chosen to do? She's chosen in this moment not to go in the kitchen and help make the cucumber sandwiches. Jesus is here and she has chosen to sit and be with him and to receive from him what he has to say, his wisdom, his instruction, to get to know Jesus better. Her attention is fully devoted to Jesus. A relationship. And this isn't the only time we see Mary giving her attention in a bit of an unusual way to Jesus. In fact, there's three times where you see Mary come up in the story in the Gospels. And and if you look at the other two instances, you see this pattern, okay? The the second time is John chapter 11 in the story where Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, remember he dies in that story? And Jesus is in a different place. By the time Jesus comes You know, it's been a while since Lazarus has died. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But before he does that, it says this. He comes to this town where they lived. Uh, John 11, verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where, who was? Jesus was, and saw him, she fell at his, what? Feet. And she said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. She didn't run to the tomb. She ran to Jesus. She threw herself at his feet, and she just unburdened herself. All of her sorrow, all of her questions, all of her doubts, all of her emotions, she she 
unburdened herself on Jesus at his feet. Interesting. And then there's a third instance where we see Mary. It's the next chapter, John 12, verse 1. It says, six six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Again, right? While Jesus or while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, then Mary took a, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus's say it feet, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. These are the three times we see Mary. In every instance, she she finds herself at the feet of Jesus. Her attention fully given to him in different ways. In the first time, she's sitting there with others listening to him, listening to his words, meditating on them, trying to understand, getting to know him better. The other time, she's bringing her sorrows, like in prayer, right? She's coming and she's not talking. Now now she's talking, not self-talk, but God talk to him at his feet. And then the third time we see her just lavishing worship and devotion on Jesus in an extravagant way, taking this full bottle of expensive perfume, pouring it on his feet, and washing his feet with her hair. This is an act of worship. And so in each of these instances, in in, in different forms, we see her at Jesus' feet, her attention fully given to him. She chose fellowship. She didn't choose finger sandwiches. She chose fellowship and communion with Jesus. First, it was attention to him over activity. Interestingly, in each instance, she did kind of the unexpected thing or the thing that others thought was inappropriate, the objected thing. Right there, she is sitting at the feet of Jesus instead of where a woman was supposed to be back in those days, you know, in the kitchen, getting the food ready. But there she is taking the posture of a disciple, sitting with the others at the feet of Jesus. Others would have thought, what are you doing here? Then instead of running to the tomb in her morning, as people thought she was doing, she ran to Jesus to unburden her heart with him. And then lastly, as she wipes her uh, her hair on the feet of Jesus with this perfume, she gets this reaction from a guy named Judas. I don't know if you remember him. John 12, verse 4, it says, But one of the, his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later be- to, to betray Jesus, objected to what Mary did. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Well, that's expensive. That's a good question, Judas. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money bag, and he used uh, to help himself to what was put in there. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I don't know if you've ever read that statement and kind of been troubled by that. Does Jesus not care about the poor? Like, does Jesus not see that a, a, a jar of perfume worth a year's wages just being wasted on his feet in this moment? Is that okay? What is he? Jesus isn't saying that caring for the poor and serving the needs of others doesn't matter. What he's saying is if you busy, there is no end. You're going to empty yourself and have nothing left. There is no end of people to help, there's no end of things to do. You need to go back to the source of life which is found at the feet of Jesus, everything flows out of fellowship with God. Do not neglect fellowship with God. Do not neglect giving your mind and your heart full attention to Him for the sake of doing other things and being busy, fulfilling your expectations and other expectations because you will run dry. She has chosen the better thing. There's only one thing that's needed, fellowship with God. So if there's a big point to this message, maybe it's this. Savoring God comes before serving God. Savoring, you know that word savor? What do you savor? 
That was a quick answer. Yes, of course. You savor food. Do you savor a pizza pop? Probably not. Do you savor a Kobe beef steak? You, like, do you wolf it? Like, you ever, like, an expensive meal on your kid, and they're just wolfing it, and you're like, I paid 25 bucks for that. You're going to enjoy it. You're eating that thing like your only aim, the only thing that you're doing here is just filling your belly and getting protein. Enjoy it. Chew slowly. Think on it. Meditate on that steak. Savor it. It's worth savoring. Don't miss the joy in it. Mary was savoring Jesus. And savoring Jesus always comes before serving Jesus. You know, Christian, our first task is not to serve God. It's to love God. Never get those things backwards. Right? When Jesus was asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is this. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It's to love God. That's the activity of the heart and the mind. Not the hands first, the heart and the mind. It's about relationship. Our first task is to love God. And what Jesus isn't saying, it's not that Martha never never helped out. It's not that she was lazy and neglectful. She just had her priorities right. Jesus isn't saying like commending the monastic life. Devote all of your time to prayer and reading of the word, study. You know, I don't know if you saw in the news here, I think it was yesterday, this woman in Peru came out of a cave after being in there for 500 days. Did you see that? It was an experiment. She went down there for 500 days into the darkness and they lowered, they brought in all the food and they brought out all that the food becomes. And she just was there. No, no responsibilities. Just thinking, reading. When they got out, they said, like, are you, are, you, are you glad to be out? No, I wish I could have stayed in there. Well, of course, yeah. Like away from all of the demands and the push and pull, the expectations. Wouldn't that be nice? Jesus isn't commending the monastic life here. He's simply saying this. Savoring God must come before serving God. He says, Mary Mary has chosen the better thing and it will not be taken from her, which I think doesn't just mean, I'm not going to tell her, Martha, to come help you. Nope, she's staying in there. That's where she needs to be. I think he's saying more than that. I think he's saying, she's making the better choice and what she's she's doing there is, is the best investment. She is not wasting that time. She is making the best use of her time to have the greatest return. She's spending time fellowshipping at the feet of her God, and it will pay off. Jesus kind of talks about this in in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. He says to his disciples, to us, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, there's that word again, It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And you get the picture here. We are a branch connected to the stem from which all sustenance, all life flows. And if you separate the branch from the stem, from the vine, from the root, eventually it withers and it does not bear fruit. Jesus is saying, remain in me. Maybe your version, abide in me. This is an ongoing thing. It's not a single act. It's not something you did once when you became a Christian. It's something that we're called to to do continually. An ongoing connection, a moment-by-moment decision to live in fellowship with Jesus, live in dependence Upon him, and so he'll say in verse 7, remain in my word. In verse 9, remain in my love. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me, and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. 
And a few verses later, he says in verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, what? What? Friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I don't call you servants any longer. I call you friend. You know what a servant is, right? They're just given marching orders. They don't sit around the table and enjoy the guests and enjoy the master. They're just given a task to do. They wait on the table and then they go and they do that. He says, you're not just a doer, a servant. Now you are more than that. You are a guest. You sit around the table to know and enjoy the master. You are my friend. Isn't that incredible? The God of the universe, the creator of all, the transcendent one, I want to be your friend. I made you for, and I want for you, fellowship with me. A fellowship that when you abide in me, when you listen and meditate on my word and when you, when you worship and when you pour out your heart, do all those things that Mary would do as she gave her attention to her Lord. A fellowship that replenishes our wisdom, replenishes our faith, replenishes our love, replenishes our courage and sends us out to serve, not in anxious toil, but to serve out of the overflow of love and joy and peace in our Jesus. Our fruitfulness flows from our fellowship with God. So Jesus is saying, savoring God comes before serving God. I've got some fruit trees in my backyard, three of them. There's a plum tree, there's two apple trees. And um, there's all these annoying roots. They kind of stick out, you trip over them, you're trying to pick apples, and you got these roots. So I just cut the, I'm like, what are they doing there? So I just cut them out. I haven't had apples the last two years. No, of course I didn't, right? Because the fruit comes from the root. Can you imagine someone going, um, take all the time to water that for what? It's not even doing anything. Look at it. Or, or even worse, it's getting in my way of doing more important things like picking those apples. And I try to set up the ladder, and it's kind of hard to get like it level because there's kind of all those roots sitting there. Maybe we should just get rid of the roots. Jesus is saying that the fruit comes from the root. Our fruitfulness flows from our fellowship with God, from living um, in attention to Him. And Jesus Himself was an example of this. I mean, He says here in John 15 a couple of times, in verse 9, He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You know, this fellowship that we can have, it's a fellowship that I have with God the Father. He says in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know their master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You have fellowship with me the way that I have fellowship with my Father. And you would often see in Jesus' life when people were wanting a piece of him because he was powerful. He could heal and he encouraged, and he taught. And yet when people needed him, often he was found by his disciples nowhere. And when they searched for him, they found him out on a hillside praying. Why? He's doing this. Savoring God comes before serving God. Not because serving is important, but because it is. And we won't serve well until we save her well. We will serve an anxiousness and a troubled spirit like Martha if we have not savored, if we are not savoring God. In all of the ways that Mary did, she has chosen what is better. And Jesus says, you're anxious about many things to Martha. Only one thing is needed. In other words, you got many problems. There's only, there's one antidote. There's one antidote to those problems and that troubled spirit and it's fellowship with me. 
Martha, I don't need your finger foods as much as you need my fellowship. And so you have these statements. We won't go into them, but you know, like Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. You can't know God without being still in life. Because life then is full of frantic activity that causes one to not be aware to miss who God is and what God can do in and through one. Isaiah 40, verse 31, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles, which isn't this. You seen an eagle? What do they do? They find a jet stream and then they ride it. They don't even flap. They just find the jet stream and then they ride it. And they soar. Those who wait on the Lord are like eagles who catch the jet stream. Or Psalm 172, verses 1 to 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In other words, it's God at work in me. It's God at work in spite of me. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. You know, this is a farming picture. Some of you are farmers. You can imagine a farmer, especially back then, they didn't have winter. They didn't have a winter break, right? In that climate, it was just work, work, work. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. Work, work, work. You don't work, you're not gonna bring in the crop. There's all sorts of dangers and there's all sorts of threats to your livelihood. Work, work, work. And he says, you're doing that, your, your, your toil is in vain. You, need, you have to know that God grants sleep to those he loves. In other words, God can do more for you in your sleep that, than you can do for yourself when you're awake. And so he gave them this, this great gift called the Sabbath, right? It was, uh, in that time, it was the seventh day of the week where they couldn't do anything. You just had to stop. You didn't have a choice. You had to stop. Stop and trust. Stop and give your attention at the feet of your God to be renewed in your focus to reset how things really worked who was really in control where peace really comes from where joy really comes from it was this glorious reset button every week now what i'm not saying is now go and practice the sabbath don't do nothing on saturday or sunday or whatever that's no no because as i read the bible i've come to really believe this with all my heart that the sabbath isn't a day anymore i actually don't believe that because I haven't found in the New Testament where the Sabbath is reiterated. But it does say this. Colossians 2, Therefore don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. They were a shadow, and when the real thing appears, the shadow disappears. When the sun rises, you don't see the moon anymore. There's no need for it. You got the real thing. The Sabbath is not a day to observe. It's a person to know. It's a relationship to live in and foster. It is a fellowship. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, those famous words, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy uh, and burdened, and I will give you rest. You want rest? I like the sound of that. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me. In other words, come and be at my feet. There you will find rest for your souls. And yeah, I, Jesus here is talking about resting from our work, from our attempts to win God's approval, to be saved, right? God, Jesus has done it all through his work for us on the cross. All we need to do is now repent and trust in him and rest from our works. We don't need to earn our own salvation or approval with God. I think that's certainly what he means here when he says he gives rest. It means rest from our works. But I think it means more than that. It means rest in our works so that even in our activity, we can live in the state of rest that comes from the fellowship that we have with Jesus. 
as we savor all the incredible attributes and characteristics of God. Like if you just savor that. Like if you stop what you're doing and you just savor who God is and you savor his goodness and his grace and you savor all of his promises and after you savor, you go back into that situation. You go back there into that role into that service, but you do it differently. Not an anxious toil like Martha, but in a trusting spirit like Mary. We savor God before we serve God or serve our family or serve our boss or serve our, serve our neighbors. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said, a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and that order is really important. We love God. God, and it's out of love for God that everything else flows. We love God so that we can serve God and serve others, not in a troubled spirit, but in a trusting spirit. So Jesus says one thing is needed. One thing is needed. Fellowship, communion with God. You know, we can fill life with, with all sorts of shoulds and wants. Oh, yeah, there's lots. They're on that list, right? And neglect the must. Jesus says there's one thing above everything else that's a must. And if you don't do that must, that's worse than a, than, than a leaky valve underneath your sink that creates wet drywall. What you must do above all else, Jesus says, is you need to in your life, in the way you live, in all the busyness of life, you need to make the choice to savor God. You need to make fellowship with Him the center. You see, it's not that just Mary let life, um, Mary didn't just let life happen to her, right? Life is busy, it's full of demands, expectations, options. I'm a pastor, I've got three kids, I've got a wife. Life is busy. Is your life busy? That kid is going to this, that kid is going to that. Some of you, I mean, life is busy. And if you let life just control um, your priorities, you'll just be like Martha, distracted, making finger sandwiches, because that's just what you do. Mary wasn't distracted, she made the right choice. She brought savoring Jesus to the center. So, um, you know, I just really find it really easy in ministry to, um, to substitute savoring God with serving God. I wonder if you do too, because I find that really easy. Because one's a bit of a counterfeit. It maybe looks like it's savoring God, but it's not. Some people are trying to live for God, but not live with God. We're called to live with God. before we're called to live for God. So Mary is the picture that I have for myself during my sabbatical. Not just I'm gonna do that in these three months and then I'm gonna come back and revert. I don't wanna revert. I wanna learn how to make the right choice for my good and for the good of those around me and for the good of this church. And so this is the question I lay before you as we close. What could this picture of Mary at the feet of Jesus, what could that look like for you? Throw that question up there, Jasmine. What would it look like for you to choose the better thing in your life? Think of those three instances. There she is listening at the feet of Jesus, like to his words, meditating on his word. And again, that's a communal thing. She's not doing it by herself. She's doing it with others. This is what you're doing right now. You know that, right? You're doing right now, in a way, what Mary was doing. So maybe for you as I go here for three months, maybe for you faithful presence on Sunday mornings, faithful presence in this, maybe that's one choice you need to make. What does that look like for you to choose the better thing? Think, thinking of those three categories, listening, to Jesus, responding, talking back, pouring out, unburdening oneself, 
And then lastly, lavishing your praise and your worship on him. I don't know about you, but I find in my house when I, when I just find my heart getting anxious, sometimes I'll, I'll call Alexa. Alexa! Just want to see if anything goes off in the room. Alexa, play, uh, play worship song list. I don't know about you, but like if I find that I just am in a place where I am savoring, hearing again of the greatness of God, all that he has done, being reminded of his promises and his power, and savoring that, it changes my spirit. And I need to do that more than I do. And maybe you do too. So what would it look like for you to choose the better thing to make fellowship with Jesus being at his feet, the center of who you are and what you do. The end. Can you stand? I'm gonna pray together with you. We're gonna put that question before God and just let him speak. Just take a moment and say, God, would you show me? Show me where I'm distracted. Show me, God, how I can choose the better thing in my life. Just ask him that question. And as you go here, keep that conversation with God. Listen to his voice. Father, we love you. You are so worthy of our affection. You are so worthy of our attention because you are an incredible God. As big as you are and yet you look down and we're just little ants and you care for each one of us. You care so much. You sent your son. You did it all. Why? Because you don't want us just to be cogs in your machine. You don't just want us to be servants. You want fellowship. You want friendship with us. You made us for that. And that's where we thrive. That's where we find our life. And so, like, I'm just thinking at the very end of the Bible, when you give to John that vision of the end of, of the renewed heaven and the renewed earth, it says, then you will dwell with your people forever. You will abide with us forever. But we just thank you, God, that you invite us in and you give yourself to us. And we can have this dynamic relationship with you in all of these ways, Lord, that we see in Mary's life, um, that just makes all the difference um, as we live, uh, as we serve, as we do. And so God, um, just show us what it would look like for us to be those who savor you first. Yeah. This we pray in the name of your son, Jesus, whom we love dearly. Amen.